Hey team, this is the Innovation Inc. podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Brown Evans. We sit down with our favorite entrepreneurs and nerd out on anything that involves innovation in the corporate space. So if you work for a corporate company, but you think like an entrepreneur, we're your people, and we're really excited you're here. Before we jump in, a huge thank you to our sponsor and Inc. 5000 company, APAC Software. They create powerful custom software, websites, and mobile apps that take your business's innovative ideas and turn them into realities. Reach out today to get a quote at apacsoftware.com. All right, everyone, let's get to it. Hey, guys. It's Liz Brown Evans. We are back on the Innovation Incubated podcast. Um, just a quick reminder, um, we are interested in who you would be interested to hear about on the podcast. So if you guys think we should interview you or you have an interesting, innovative friend or colleague, send them our way. Um, we are building our pipeline for the year. So if you guys are new to the podcast, just a quick uh, update on what Innovation Incubated is. We work with corporate companies to help them keep or stay innovative or become innovative, depending on what their current status is. Um, but really, we're here today to dig into what innovation actually looks like. It's a really fluffy, mushy word that doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, today we've got Adam Bo on the podcast. Very excited to be here. I was just about to say, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. You are. It's not yes. Bowie. It's David Bo, Bowie. Yeah. Honestly, keep keep that snap in there, yeah, Garrett. It's like Adam. It. It's Adam Bo. That's Adam a good Bowie. thing, though. Yeah, yeah, People are worried about, about being made fun of for your name. But that worked out well for you in life. Okay. So Adam was introduced to me through Mike Hilton, our partner at Innovation Incubated. They go way back. Um, All the way back to high school. Literally. He was your teacher? Yeah. He's my freshman year religion teacher. That's, man, that's great. So Mike says you're one of his favorite people on the planet. Mike loves everyone, but it is clearly obvious to me that he loves you more than most. Yeah. Uh, So I'm excited today. So Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I think, you know, chill and you said uh, chill and interesting energy. I think that just, that sums up my background. You can put that on your LinkedIn bio (laughs) if you want. No. So uh, first of all, super excited to be here. Um, Second of all, uh, new Mike in, in high school, fast forward going through uh, the same school at Dayton. So we, we got tight there. So he went to UD, I went to UD. Um, go Flyers, Yeah, right? go Flyers. Go Flyers. Um, and then got to roll with Big Ass Fans. I think you've had a, a few of those. You're our 19th fans. alumni? No, yeah. you are th- our third, I believe. Yeah, Landon and Alex, two yep. of my favorite people. Yep. Um, so I'm a fellow Big Ass Fans alumer um, from Big Ass Fans to Zometry. Uh, had a, a plethora of roles at, at Big Ass Fans, anywhere from sales to product to uh, channel management, marketing management. Um, and now at Zometry, I went over there for uh, marketing, e-commerce marketing, and now the head of community and engagement. So That's exciting. Yeah. So we've sort of done this. We, we're in a tradition now with the Big Ass Fan alum of yeah. compare your old company to your new company. But I am interested because you've got a really interesting, you went from almost a, a big startup to a little, but now big startup, mm-hmm. but they're both kind of corporate companies. So talk about what, what was that like at Big Ass? How'd you get to Zometry and what are some of their differences? Yeah. So I actually joined uh, around the same point at Big Ass Fans and Zometry. So I was employee like 300 at Big Ass Fans and then employee like 215 at Zometry. So, you know, similar, similar zones. Um, and Big Ass Fans was really exciting as a, you know, right out of college. Uh, I'll say it, um, that example uh, is not something you could take and say, you know, the, like 21 year old me was like, this is how every corporation is. And like, that's <laughs> not how every corporation is. 
Um, but it was a really special time. I mean, it was just like ton of excitement, ton of energy, you know, so much investment and in new products and new way of doing things. Um, and I feel a lot of that same energy as Ometry. Um, so it's, it's felt similar in some ways, felt very different in other ways. Um, but yeah, a lot of ping pong at, at big ass fans. We had a just shout out to all my ex big ass fans alum. Uh, you know, we would scarf our lunch down to be able to, to spend most of our hour playing ping pong, but no, 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 it was, it was a lot of, um, there was a lot of innovation on topic there. Um, and you know, a lot of interesting experiences there that I think we're going to get into. Uh, and for those tuning in who are familiar with the startup world, Zometries formerly make time yes. and that transition happened two years ago. Yeah, that ago? happened in the summer of 2019. Okay. Um, so about two and years so, ago. or 2018, sorry. And I came on to Zometry about three months after um, that acquisition. Wow. Okay. So yeah. you were, I, was I bet it almost hire. felt like a new company with all the transitions. Yeah, I was the first hire in Lexington after the Make Time acquisition. So cool. a lot of the the Bethesda, that's where Zometry's headquartered. A lot of the Bethesda folks were like, you were with Make Time, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm an OG. You know? like, <laughs> so they may be finding out now on this podcast. That's You lied true. to them, to yeah. their face. Yes. Yeah. But you can trust everything else on the podcast. Exactly. Past behavior doesn't indicate for future behavior. So let's talk a little bit, like I said, innovation infrastructure. Mm -hmm. What does that actually mean? We talked to a lot of companies who some people do innovation theater, which we're not big fans of. Some people do really cool things and don't call it innovation. What what did the infrastructure look like? Let's maybe handle it however you want. Let's start at big ass and then yeah. maybe compare it to Zometry now. So first of all, I mean, I think that um, innovation can look like a lot of different things. I, I actually have a, in my notes that, uh, that's something I like, I, you know, I've never even really thought of innovation of as like when I first got into it, I was just always drawn like a moth to the flame of like, who are the people having the interesting conversations talking about things that we're not doing right now. Right. So we call you an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. 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 But like, I, I think a lot of people don't know that language or don't think of that type of thought or conversation as innovation. Um, that's everywhere at every company. So it can look like a lot of different things at a lot of different places, but at big ass fans, um, you know, I, I felt, uh, at the later stages, we actually had a department that was solely dedicated. It was called the kitchen. Landon ran it. I don't know if you guys covered it in his podcast, but, Yep. uh, he ran it. I worked in it. Um, but at big ass fans, it was this really flat organization. So, you know, the CEO, Carrie Smith was super involved in pretty much everything going on. So, You've got the CEO in, in meetings with you, empowering anyone from an intern to a you know senior sales manager to the C-suite to come up with ideas, shout them out. Um, so there was a lot of energy floating around that place in the early days where you could really just, you know, uh, the innovation was large ideas building on top of each other and then saying, hey, we should do that, Right. Um, in the later years, we actually had a department. It was called the kitchen. So it can look as formal as that, where you've got someone whose main job is leadership of that department. And, you know, we ran agile scrum sprints, um, similar to a tech company. And our whole thing was big bets that were new categories. So it really wasn't like, how can we improve this department that's, you know, it's working right now. That's more of like a lean. It wasn't incremental improvement. Right. It was the yeah. breakout. What it are the was, new What's big? the new product? You know, is it grow lights? We were really into, we were working with, um, 
because we launched LEDs. So it was like, was it grow lights? Was it uh, actually similarly to what they did with COVID? We had a fan that had a UV light in it for like operating rooms. Um, We worked with Sonos and Google Home to put a speaker in a fan. Right. So we were like doing the weirdest thing. Like basically our mantra was like the weirdest thing you can do but make it a business and the weirdest thing you can do within fans and lights. And so that was like our thing. Right. Um, But I I think what's important there is that we were really focused on not improving any existing revenue streams. It was only growing new streams. Whereas at Zometry, you know, we're, we take more of like a lean manufacturing approach. Yep. um, Even though we're not manufacturing anything. And, you know, we're really focused on what are new revenue streams, but how can we approach, you know, existing operations and improve those? So I think it can look different, right? We don't have a department of zometry. Big ass fans did. Um, But innovation can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. What did, so you talked a little bit about, and we've heard a lot about Carrie's involvement Mm -hmm. at Big Ass. What, What does it look like with communication, with leadership, with structure at zometry? How do you guys approach? So I I think we approach it and it's, you know, we're a a fresh, we're right out of the startup phase. We're in high growth mode. And um, so those look different at different times, but in the startup phase, I, you know, I think it was explore anything that sounded like it had any legs to it. Right. Um, Now we're a little bit more structured. So it's really, you know, one thing that we do is we come together as cross departmental teams. So I think that the, the department function can work. But a lot of times what happens is that, you know, you seem like the cool kids in the science lab with all of like the the toys and the good ideas and other departments kind of get a little jealous of that. Right. And so what happens is that ideas that could be good for that department stay siloed in other departments because, you know, they don't want to flow that through there. So what we do is we come together across departmental teams um, and we have very formulaic, you know, how do you weigh an opportunity? Um, How do you think about, you know, how do you like create your backlog that you're going through? What's, what are you focused on? So we pick like one operation, one department that we're really focused on for that thing. So even another good idea might come up or like, Hey, you know, let's kind of put that to the side. We're, We're focused here. Um, and I think cross departmentally, what, what works there is that you actually have buy-in from, you know, it's, it's all the teams, right? It's all the teams working together. So you don't have a lot of the, the politics that can get into it. Um, we do have an executive sponsor on any of this. So that helps, right? Because someone's got to be shielding from, you know, we were talking carry, but every CEO is involved, right? Every CEO yep. is where they are because, you know, they, they want to know what's going on in their business. So you got to have someone that can shield that energy a little bit because, you know, halfway through a, a sprint or, you know, insert time period here of a project is not when you need to be talking to the CEO. So if you have that, that, that executive sponsor, if you're working cross departmentally and what we do is we, you know, we started probably, I'd say, like 2019 was my first interaction with like real innovation, like structured innovation at Azometry. Uh, it was called Project Jackpot. That was our little, you know, code name internally. That's a requirement um, for innovation. You yeah, to, exactly. You have to have yeah, more yeah. like code names. Yeah, exactly. Project Jackpot. Um, but it was, you know, you start digestible. So you say, okay, 
here's our core business. Here's our core revenue stream, right? Like let's make that 5% better. And the 5% sounds big, right? But if you haven't done it before, 5% is kind of easy to find. And if you bring really smart, interesting people to the table that, you know, want to take on this role, um, you can find that. And so we came up with like 10, 15 big bets said, Hey, we can tackle three of these at a time, but those other 12 are great ideas. So let's explore these first three that we've weighed as, you know, larger opportunities. And if one of them hits, then great. And if not, we've got 12 others to explore. So it kind of worked like that for us where we said, Hey, you know, we pitched to, to the CEO, Randy. We said, look, give us a little time here. We're going to invest in this part of the business. Came up with 15 ideas that we're going to look at these three and then report out after those three and then say, we're moving on to the next. Cause I mean, you're taking resources potentially away from their job for a little bit. Um, and did that's you the guys, other thing I said. Did you guys put timeframes on that? Did no, you say give us six months or give us a year, 18 months? After we came up with the ideas, yeah. But we didn't for you know the first. Now, we, we recently just did a, a bigger version of this that you know, we, can, we can talk about in a second. But um, we did put timeframes on that. But that's because we owe GMV through the project at some point. So we're like, you know, we've got a time frame on when we owe that. Um, but yeah, so it was, you know, it's very much... They say it's going to take time away from someone's job, but really the other thing you need is you need, you know, hungry, invested people because it ends up becoming a side job that you don't actually take time away from your role. You do your role and you do this work as well, which can be one of the drawbacks of the cross-departmental thing. We had uh, a former Googler or a Zoogler, as Mm. I've learned they're called on here, uh, Jamie Rosenstein-Whitman. You should go back and listen to her episode. But she talked about how the whole 80-20 Google rule, it's sort of a laughing stock at this point because it's 120% at this point. And and I think, I'm sure Europeans look at us and are like, you guys are workaholics. Maybe. But I do think sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles. If you want to go above and beyond and be innovative, sometimes it is going to be on top of what you're doing. I mean, I think, you know, we were talking about the types of people that, you know, at least I don't know if there are types, but I am one of those people that's always been drawn to it. Right. And there are benefits to that. Right. You're you can be really young, involved in a project, presenting to the CEO. Right. Like those are paths to leadership. So. You may not get a bonus that year because you were involved in that project, but, you know, it's all currency and the fact that your name was attached, you got some presentation time and you know what I mean? And yep, so absolutely. those, are, those are, are benefits to that. But in all actuality, yeah, there is no 8 or 20. It's, you know, 120. Yeah. I'm also interested. So recently, Jake Miller, he is a startup founder. His startup's called Toggle Health, but he formerly was with Walgreens and Target and was a corporate innovator at both of those large companies. And one of the keys to success that he talks about is that they would involve other departments. So they he had a corporate innovation department. Mm-hmm. That was what he ran. And he always involved at the early onset people from other departments. Yeah. Because if not, he said that pass off either you've you've pissed them off because you took all their fun projects and so they don't get to do those anymore. You're doing them. Or you say, okay, now it's ready to be implemented. And they're like, well, we yeah. don't we don't have any buy-in. Well you don't uh, I, I don't know how you could run an innovation department and not have stakeholders that are um, at, if not driving the project that's coming from theirs, right? Like they at least feel like they're driving it because, right. you know, if, if it comes from an innovation department that says, this is the best idea since sliced bread, 
and they'll be like, you don't know my work. You know, you don't know this, the, the nuts and bolts. Right. So, so no, it's not. But if you get their opinion, right. Like we were talking about lean a second ago, or at least brush it. If you go to the Gimba, you go to the work and you get their, their feedback. And then you, you come back and you say, Hey, remember when you told me X, Y, and Z, well, this is the thing that's going to fix that. They feel heard. They feel bought in. That's when that can actually, you know, stick and, yep. and take place. What's interesting to me is how this all of a sudden makes the bridge. So in the startup world, a team of a startup is almost as important as the idea itself. Mm-hmm. So when we look at companies to accept them to our fellowship, um, Keith McMahon, the director, he puts almost just as much weight on the founder and the team as the idea itself, which at first to me seems counterintuitive. But if you have a poor team, the idea won't make it. Yeah. And I think corporate companies tend to lose sight of that, that it has to be a well-balanced team with ownership, with the right skill sets and personalities at the table. And they don't have to all be A players. They just have to work together really well. And I, that, that is true in both startup and corporate world. Absolutely. It actually, it killed me. So after project jackpot, it it kills (laughs) me to not be involved. Right. It just like, it just eats at my stomach to not be in the room when it's talking about, but we, we were like, okay, we did this right now recommend someone from your department to come to the next iteration of this. Right. And so you have to have the right departments that are represented, but also, you know, you can't be just, like I said, it can't be the cool kids versus everybody else. Everyone has a good point of view. Everyone has something they can bring to this. And so we would rotate out and we would have, you know, some consistency so that it could be, this is how we did it. This is how the process flows. Like, you know, right work relations on, on how you're, you're doing ideas and brainstorms. Um, but mostly, you know, fresh new people. So you mentioned this became a bigger, you and got, you guys went from project jackpot to something even bigger, yeah. made it a little bit longer. What does that look like? Yeah. So we actually, I just got back from Bethesda where we did a three day workshop. Um, and it was a huge corporate investment, right? So, um, I think we had, three C-suite people there, um, tons of SVPs, um, you know, a lot of our leadership was there. So you take that, I say huge corporate investment. I wasn't just name dropping people, but you think about their time, right? That's very valuable to say, Hey, don't answer your email. Don't take meetings. You're invested in this for three whole days. Um, and it was because, I mean, we're, we're actually doing, um, a kind of a startup within a startup, right. Or a startup within a, a high growth mode company. Cause I don't call Zometry a startup anymore. Right. Um, where, and just a little bit about Zometry, we're an on-demand manufacturing platform. Um, see how you kept us 15 minutes into this. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care what you do. We just yeah, care. How you yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're an on-demand manufacturing platform and you know, what that means is it's kind of like the Airbnb of the manufacturing world, right? So manufacturers, even in the best economy, has around 70% of their their time on their machines is idle. We have folks that are, you know, engineers, companies, um, tons of, of big names. You can check out our website to, to name check some of the logos. But, you know, folks want things made from a prototype to a production run. Uh, they get a quote from Zometry and then a manufacturer that has time comes and takes that part and actually makes it. So that's where I say the Airbnb, the manufacturing world, you got, you know, stay or renters and, and homes that need renting. Um, what we're starting now is more like the Etsy of, of manufacturing. So the shops and the engineers are actually going to be able to quote directly with one another on our platform. So transact with each other. We've launched a full suite of financial tools and Mm -hmm. um, shops are going to be able to 
list services that Zometry doesn't necessarily carry on the instant quoting side of things, but, you know, customers want. Um, there's also going to be finishing shops on there. So, for example, if you take a part that you can machine, but you can't finish it, you can't anodize it, you could actually accept that work even though you couldn't do the full job and then quote it out on the platform to a finisher, right? So it really unlocks the the capabilities for manufacturers. So, but this marketplace, it, it didn't exist until this year. We've been building it for six months. We launched it uh, actually like a week ago. So we're like very fresh. Um, but for three days, we were really invested in innovation around that idea, that startup within our company. Um, and the big bets that we were going to make for the rest of 2021, I almost said 2020, <laughs> uh, 2021 count. and 2022. That's exciting. So it's, you're talking about big bets. You're talking about risk. Yeah. What, what is the disposition toward risk? Obviously slightly tolerant if executives yeah. took three days of their time to think about it, but what does that look like at Zometry? Well, I mean, I think it's gotta be high, um, anywhere. High is maybe the wrong word. You gotta have some tolerance for risk. I would say it's, you know, high at Zometry. So if you think about our, our uh, marketplace that I was just talking about, the Etsy example, um, you know, you, there's, there are manufacturers right now, you know, we, we have a successful business that we run through the instant quoting engine, right? Those manufacturers take work from our job board. Well, we're now launching within our own platform another way for them to take work and there's a there's a limited resource that we're looking for which is the time of the manufacturer right so now that manufacturer has to have the time the 30 percent that they have extra or 50 percent whatever it is they could either take it from the job board or they could take it from the marketplace and so you know that is risky for us however we have you know much better margins on the marketplace because it's an unmanaged marketplace whereas the job board, you know, you have case managers, et cetera, like folks invested in the job board. So the job board's still our bread and butter. So our, you know, the house that the marketplace lives in was built by the job board and, and the instant quoting side. Um, but that's that's risky. We don't know how this is going to go. We, we think we've got a good idea, right? It's going to unlock our ability to, um, and something I should say is that the reason that we're excited about this is because, you know, it's a rigorous process to get on the job board. You have to be, you know, you have to create a test part for us. It's inspected by us. So th this is the best of the best taking work from us on our job board. Whereas the marketplace side, it's unmanaged, right? It's just like Etsy. So, you know, if you buy something from Amazon or Etsy that isn't, you know, Amazon branded, you know, Amazon saying, hey, that was a, that was a seller on our marketplace. We, you know, we, we didn't make that thing. Um, so same deal on this side, right? It's a, it's an unmanaged service and there's different benefits for going with both ways. Um, so it's risky and, but our leadership is allowing us to, to start it, allowing us to invest in the time to explore it. Um, and it's because we, you know, we did our homework and we think this is the way that this is where pretty much everyone's going. So you mentioned earlier there's sort of a formula you guys mm -hmm. run through as you're evaluating this. So I kind of want to back up. You guys eventually have gotten to this marketplace, but when this idea first came to the table, how do you guys run through, how do you evaluate whether it's a good idea or not? Yeah. And I, I think there's, so there's, there's two different formulas that's top of mind for me is, you know, there's, there's our formula and then there's like the formula that 
from my viewpoint after working at Big Ass Fans and Zometry, two very different ways of approaching innovation that I think, you know, are consistent factors that you need for innovation. So, you know, our formula is we're, we're taking, it depends on if we're looking at new categories or, you know, existing business, but let's say existing business, right? So, you know, you look at the revenue impact um, and you're also looking at effort. So if you're looking, you're looking for something that's high revenue impact, low effort, right? Um, and then, you know, you scale back down to high effort, low revenue impact. That's not something we're going to look at. Um, we also look at, you know, which department is this impacting? Is this, you know, kind of, like I said, we've got our kind of our core pipeline, if that's something that we can change. Right. Um, and the user's perception of this. So is this just something that we know that we need to fix, but users haven't really stumbled on this, or is this a really squeaky wheel for us that we need to look at? So there's a, there's a more in-depth kind of chart that we go through, but it's, that gives you an example of it. Um, but what I found as far as like the formula that, um, you know, if I was in your shoes and I was having to, to put this out to, to companies, I would need a, a, an exec team that has a high to somewhat high risk tolerance, but also patience and trust with the team. So they've got to be able to, you know, think big. And I mean, they're an exec team for a reason. They probably can um, and, and say, yeah, that's a risk that we're willing to take because it, it's a big swing. Um, but also patience and trust, because like I said, you can't get two weeks into a month project and then the CEO come knocking on your door and saying, hey, I need an update. Right. And those timelines are just numbers that we're playing with. But at any point, it's got to be, hey, we're going to come to you at this date with our, you know, our proposal. And then we're going to report out to you at these stages. And they got to be willing to wait for those stages. Um, and the way you do that is you get an exact sponsor. I think you have someone that's super invested in it and they're running defense for you to, to say, Hey, no, you promised to wait for, for this, for this date for us to report out to you. Um, I think you have smart people that want to work on big problems and opportunities and smart driven people. So we were going back to that 120%, right? Someone has to be um, driven might be the wrong word. Invested is probably the right word. So they have to be invested in the company, right? So if you're asking them to, to work more than the nine to five, they have to feel that it's growing their career or that, you know, they believe in the company mission. They got to be invested in what's going on because it's going to take more than what they've currently giving and just their regular job to do this. Um, you got to have that formula for weighing opportunities because it's got to be agreed upon by all. You can't say, Hey, this is going to be better for my role. And, you know, but it's not going to impact revenue. Well, that's great. We should focus on that, but it's got to be something that the whole team can drill down to. And the, the top idea has to kind of be shining at the top for everyone to say, yeah, that's the right idea. Um, and then you have to be able to reach consensus, but not hundred percent agreement. So <laughs> typically, you know, you've got big teams working on this and especially if like what I was talking about, the cross departmental side, um, you know, not everything is going to get everyone's hit every checkbox on everyone's list. Right. So you got to be able to reach consensus, but like you're speaking with one voice after you re reach that consensus. It can't be a month later, the project's hitting like, you know, one little hill. And then someone's like, well, you know, I said that this wasn't the right idea. So. I told yeah. you so. Right. It's got to be one voice once you reach that consensus. Um, and then I really like having consistent structure for presenting projects 
and you make it boring so that it's like, it's like the, the same thing that I would say, Hey, we're going to increase our paid search budget by $50. Right. I would have a little sheet that said that. And I would deliver that to whoever my boss is that needs to sign off on that. And they'd be like, yeah, that's fine. And then I'd say, Hey, I need $2 million to spend on this crazy marketing thing. Right. Same sheet. They're getting that same thing. So it keeps everyone's blood pressure low because they're seeing consistent, you know, they're like, Oh, this is a, this is a project. It's got details. Right. And it's, it comes to me and how I like seeing all my other projects. And so keeping that really consistent and really formulaic, I think keeps everyone's blood pressure a little low when you're talking about big stuff. And it also keeps you focused on like the stuff you actually need to talk about, because I think with some of these big ideas, the conversation, you can lose the thread of the conversation a little bit. And if you can stay on that formulaic, that, that sheet that you present on each project, it can keep it really, you're like, Hey, you know, let's talk about bullet point number three, not kind of how you feel about this. I've never heard someone say that, but that makes so much sense in a, um, I think it keeps the idea presenter accountable, Mm -hmm. right? You have to do your homework rather than making an emotional sell for an idea. Absolutely. But if you've done your homework, I don't want to get into emotions. I want to get into why it makes sense for you to. Let's talk about this point that you don't have. You should should make a big bet on it. But you've already won at that point. If you're talking about this point, right? Like you're tightening bolts on that idea. Yep. And one's probably, it sounds combative, but you know what I mean? Sure. you're already seeing, thinking that your project has momentum now because you've got them thinking about it and they're thinking about some point there, not, hey, you know, I, I just don't get this idea, right? right? And so you've got to do your homework. The The idea's got to be really clear. But if you can, you know, it can keep things really pointed when you're talking about stuff and those meetings can fly past. Right. I also think it gets to, you're ultimately making a sales pitch to your executive and the more that you can cater it toward what keeps them up at night, the better that presentation is going to be. It doesn't necessarily have to be, I mean, it's ultimately all of sales is emotional, but I think if you know what they care about, make a reasonable argument. Yep. Right. So that's where at a certain point, if you're presenting these big ideas, you should be used to presenting to whoever's going to need to sign off on it. And so you know what's important, right? If I'm talking to the CFO, I'm talking either, you know, the GMV it's going to bring in, the revenue it's going to bring in, how it's going to drive down uh, cost, how it's going to increase our profit mark, right? If I'm talking to the CMO, I'm going to talk about, you know, marketing KPIs and the number of users, clicks, whatever, right? So big numbers at the top that they care about. And then that can be like, Oh, I can get them dreaming. And then you go into the bullet points below. But if you can keep that really formulaic for, like I said, even the smallest projects that you want to take on and the biggest fitting in both of those, I think that can do a lot for keeping the blood pressure down in those meetings. Yeah. And, and I'd support, I think executives need to hear that too, of, of allow your employees to pitch to you in that way. So I think that's such a, Such a practical bit of advice. I think that's great. Um, Well, so bringing us home a little bit, I would love to hear uh, something I'm trying to start asking more people about. What are, and actually I'm going to switch this up on you a little bit, personally and professionally, what are some trends that you're seeing in zometry data? I don't care what it is that you guys are paying attention to, um, that you're like, you know what, we're watching consumer behavior in this way, X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So, I mean, I touched on the marketplace that we're building, right? So, Uh, I think so it it touches on a few different things, right? So we're seeing a ton of people start 
manufacturing shops, but like in their garage or they're renting a, you know, they're renting a space. Like it's like almost like the new CrossFit, right? If there's an empty garage, (laughs) someone's buying a CNC machine to fill it. So, um, and what I think is interesting there and it, it touches on, you know, a lot of what uh, other corporations are seeing is just distributed workforce. Right. And so distributed supply chain. And if you're able to hack into that and you're able to say, Hey, you, you know, you can only take work, from the job board or from Zometry, but um, you don't have to have local business there, right? You can just have this this distributed machine shop where it's small micro shops um, taking work from us. And so I almost draw a correlation from uh, what we saw in the the uh, brewery uh, industry recently, mm-hmm. right? So everyone and their mother knows a small brewery, a micro brewery, right? You're going to see less of that in manufacturing, less of, uh, you know, Anheuser-Busch in manufacturing and more of West Six, right? And West Six at this point is a, a small brewery. They're, sure. they're kind of big Blue deal. Blue Stallion maybe? <laughs> yeah, even <laughs> them, right? You sure. know, but like, um, but I think that's what you see, right, is that, you know, five years ago, Blue Stallion, West Six, Country Boy, all those, you know, kind of small breweries. Um, they've made it now, right? Well, you're going to start seeing that a lot of manufacturing where it is, you're not seeing these 50, 100 people, 200 people shops. You're seeing, you know, one to five people in a shop uh, that can do really, really good work. And they're really focused on, you know, that IPA that they make or that coffee stout. And then they'll, they'll get, they'll, they'll get outside of that. But um, so you're going to, you're, I think you're going to see a really um, robust and powerful manufacturing network in America, um, but it's going to be distributed around to these kind of one to five shops uh, all over the country. And hopefully they're working with Zometry. One of my favorite things about just you guys and what you're doing is that I think one of one of Kentucky's strengths is is manufacturing and logistics. So to have you guys here on the tech side of that and the innovation side of that just makes me really excited for the yeah. state. So, um, well, how can people, obviously they should go visit your website. How can they connect with you guys or are there ways that they can support what Zometry is doing? Yeah, so they can go to our website, um, www.zometry.com, and I'll spell it out, actually. Because, uh, <laughs> That's fair. We, yeah, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Um, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Adam-Bow on you know the backslash after LinkedIn, but it's B-O-W-E, um, so Adam Bow. Um, you can also you know follow us on all the, the socials, right? Facebook, all LinkedIn, the socials. Uh, Instagram, all the socials, right? Um, but yeah, so connect with me. Uh, I can get you pointed in the right direction if you're a manufacturer, if you're someone that wants to make something, right? So I said engineer earlier, you really don't have to be an engineer. You just got to have an idea. And if you want that made, then let's do it. You guys are also hiring right now. Uh, so it's so many roles. June of 2021. If you listen to this in a year from now, I can't help you. But <laughs> um, if you are listening right now, you should check them out. Go, yeah. to, their, go to their careers page. Yeah, I'd. I it's I would give a number for how many open positions we have right it's now, too many. but I I don't know it. It, so. it is a lot. I recently went and looked at it. So, <laughs> yeah. well, Adam, thank you so much for being uh, generous with your time, interesting and chill with your information. I'm very excited for people to hear this, and um, we'll uh, we'll let everyone know when the podcast launch. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. All right, take care. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you know someone who should be on our show, even if it's you, reach out to us at innovationincubated.com. And while you're on our website, sign up for our newsletter. Lastly, thanks to our sponsor, Apex Software. The right software partner can change everything. So reach out today at apexsoftware.com. Until next time, go team.